Hello, welcome to the podcast of Chesbro Baptist Church. We're continuing in our series entitled Some Assembly Required, which is our series on marriages and building better marriages. Today, we're looking at the role of a Christian wife, and we are going through Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22 through 24. We're also taking a look at Abigail and a decision she had to make between her husband, Nabal, and King David. So please enjoy. in um, our series on some assembly required. And this is a series on marriage. It's a series on building better marriages. Um, uh, most people in here, uh, they're married or they're going to be married one day. And uh, so, well, you know, and some people have the gift of singleness. And you say, brother, brother how do I know if I have the gift of singleness? If you have no desire to ever be married, you have the gift of singleness. But if you have a desire and you say, one day I would, I would like to be married, okay, well, then this is for you. And so we're building better marriages. And so we're going to begin in Ephesians chapter 5. And let me invite you one last time to stand respect and reverence to the Word of God or read our Scripture, pray, and sit back down. All right, let's start reading in verse number 18 and read through verse 24. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even to the Father. And be subject one another in the fear, be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. All right, let's, let's pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Dear Lord, we want to digest your word. We want to rightly divide your word. We want to dig into the word of God, Lord. And we want the word of God through the, and the Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts today. Lord, please help us as we examine your word. And just I pray that we just bathe in it and soak it up. Thank you for all you have done for us. In Jesus Christ's precious name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. King David, in uh, 1 Samuel chapter uh, 25, is running from Saul. Saul is chasing after David, so David is hiding in the wilderness. And David goes and he hides at this particular man's property near where his flocks are, near where his servants are. It's a property of a man named Nabal. So David is here at this property, and while he's here, he's hiding from Saul, but he's also protecting this man's property from invaders that are coming in from out of the country that are trying to destroy his livestock, to destroy his land, to kill his servants. So while David is there, is there hiding, he's defending this man's property. He's defending this man's livestock. He's defending this man's servants. So David stays there and does this for a little while and David goes off and he comes back through and when he comes back through, still on the run from King Saul, he's low on supplies. 
So he sends a couple of his men to this guy named Nabal and says, hey, I want you to go to this guy, tell him what we've done for him, and just say all we want is just a few supplies to help us get through. And so David sends his men to Nabal and they go and they knock on Nabal's door and Nabal opens the door and the two men begin to talk to Nabal. And they say, look, David was here and we were here a while back and we were camping out on your property and some invaders came in and we protected them. We protected your property. We protected your flocks. We protected your servants. And all we would like in return is just a few little supplies. Just give us some food so we can just continue on our way. The thing about Nabal is Nabal was a very hateful, very spiteful, very mean, and the Bible says even stupid man. Nabal, out of spite and against the will of God, looked at these men and said, I don't even know who David is. You can get off my property and basically slam the door in their face. Man, these men went back to David, and let me just tell you that, it, you know, it, David was fit to be tied. David was seeing red, man. David was absolutely upset. And David said, I'm going to Nabal's house and I'm going to destroy everything. I'm going to burn all the buildings down and I'm going to kill all the livestock and I'm going to destroy the servants and I'm going to kill his family and there'll be no one left standing when I get done there. I can't believe he did that after what we did from them. So David sets on his way towards Nabal's house. A servant who heard this interaction between Nabal and David's men came to Abigail, Nabal's wife, and told her what happened. And the servant said to Abigail, Abigail, I would go talk to your husband, but you know he's a spiteful man. You know it would go in one ear and out the other. He's a very stubborn man. There's no way he would answer. And so, but this is his will. This is what he said to do. I just wanted you to know. So Abigail has a choice to make. Who does she submit to? She knows what God wants them to do, but what does she do? Let's hit the pause button on that story. We'll come back to Abigail and her decision a little bit later on. And let's examine what the Word of God says about what our text verse read this morning. Uh, we read in verse 22 that the Bible says the words, Wives, be subject to your husbands. Now listen, this is hard. It, it, it's, sometimes it's a hard pill to swallow, but it's in the Bible. Now here's the thing, though. I think people have an aversion to those words because they think like the world. And they think that that means what the world thinks it means. And, and listen, I don't care what the world thinks those, world, those words mean. I care what does the Bible say. I want to look at this biblically. I want to look at this contextually. I want to look at this scripturally. And I want to see what does the word of God has, have to say to us. God has done an outstanding job in the Word of God to uh, iron out the roles of marriage and the home. And usually, if a marriage doesn't work out, it's because they didn't adhere to God's plan. In Ephesians chapter 5, where we began reading in verse number 18, we are commanded to be filled 
with the Spirit. At the beginning of the chapter, we're told to be imitators of God, and we get down to verse 18, and it tells us to be filled with the Spirit. That's an imperative. That's a command. We are being commanded to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And then it goes on to say what happens when you are filled with the Spirit of God. Somebody that's filled with the Spirit of God, we we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, you're going to be filled with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And we talked about that, and that's public worship. If you're filled with the Spirit of God, you're going to have no problem with public worship. The second thing that's going to happen to you is, is then you're going to sing and make melody in your heart. And this is private worship. So we've got public worship. We've got private worship. Another thing that happens to you when you're filled with the Spirit is you're going to give thanks to the Lord Jesus Christ. You're going to have this attitude of gratitude and you're going to be thankful in your Christian life and you're going to have this this thankfulness. It becomes a part of your being. You become a, a gratitude person. You become a thankful person. It becomes a part of your life. And then finally in verse 21, we have listed the last thing that happens when you're filled with the Spirit. And it says, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. And the last thing that happens when we submit, when when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, is we submit. Did you know that for everybody, man, woman, adult, child, it doesn't matter, for Christians in general, um, submission is evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Submission is evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit. So Christians are Submissive people. Listen, the New Testament is chock full of submissive people. Being submissive is a way of life for the Christian. In Hebrews 13, 17, we're told to be submissive to those who have have the, the rule over us, those who watch over our souls, those who give an account to us for God. We're to be subject to those We're to basically obey our leaders. 1 Peter 2.13, it says to obey, to submit to the authority of the government. 1 Peter 5.5, submit to the elders and the pastors. And In Ephesians 5.21, we're told to all submit to one another, a general uh, putting other people's needs above your own. That is being a Christian. Children are to submit to their parents. Employees are to submit to their supervisors. Now, the Bible uses the language of master-servant, but for our context today, that's the relationship between an employer and a supervisor. The husband submits to Christ. Christ himself, who is a part of the Trinity, who is the one true living God, he submits to God the Father. We tell you something, Jesus submitted to his parents on the earth. So I want you to understand that this attitude of submission, it's biblical, it's scriptural, and it's for everybody. Let's look at the word submit itself. The word submit is the Greek word hupotasso. 
And it means to rank under as in the military. And listen, for a Christian, this is a beautiful thing. And do you want to know how I know that, that submission is a beautiful thing? It's evidenced by Jesus Christ himself. Let me tell you something, Jesus was up in heaven and he decided that, that to make himself a little lower than the angels, he came and he was born of a virgin and he became man, 100% man, 100% God. He left his throne in heaven. He came here, he submitted, he submitted to his disciples by washing his feet and finally he submitted to the cross. Jesus is our ultimate example of submission. So when you submit to any authority in your life, you're emulating Jesus Christ. This is a way of life for all Christians. Now, let me bring things in a little bit closer now. What we're talking about is we're talking about Submission in the context of a Christian marriage between a husband and a wife. Now, let me lay out some, some quick little points here. Submission does not mean that you agree on everything. That's not what that means. Submission does not mean that you have to agree with every opinion of your husband. That is not what that means, okay? God gave you a mind. You get to think for yourself. That's what that means. Submission does not mean you leave your brain at the altar. Nor does submission mean that your husband does your thinking for you. That's not what that means. John Piper tells a story. John Piper was in his office. He was counseling this couple. And the wife looked at John Piper and said, Brother Piper... I have to ask my husband permission to go to the bathroom. And John Piper looked over at that husband, pointed at him and said, you're sick. You're sick, you're unwell, and what you're doing is you're taking words like authority and leadership and submission and you're stepping away from what the Bible says and you're filling it with what you think, it's, what you think it means. Look, leadership doesn't mean you don't listen. Leadership does not mean you always have to get the last word. That is not what that means. Good leadership says, often says, you were right and I was wrong. If I had a quarter for every time my wife was right and I was wrong, I would be a rich person. Uh, whew, man, we're feeling the spirit now. But if I had a quarter for every time that was the case, man, we'd be rich. Man, that, it, but here's the thing. The world puts down on this role of a Christian wife because it's misunderstood. They read into it what the world thinks it means. But listen, in the right context, this is a beautiful arrangement. So husbands... You got the day off, but don't worry, don't worry. I got you next week. I got something good for you. But this week, we're going to look at this biblical, scriptural submission of a Christian wife. It's in the Bible. There's no getting around it. 
But what does the Bible mean when it says this? So my first point this morning is the matter of submission. The matter of submission. Let's look at verse 21 in Ephesians 5. And we're going to look at many scriptures today. It says, And be subject one to another in the fear of Christ. So here it's telling us Christians in general that we are to be a submissive people. We're already supposed to put other people's needs before our own, and that includes husbands. Are supposed to put the needs of their wife above their own, okay? Um, but now he, he goes on to list some ways in which Christians should submit. In verse 22, it says, Wives, be subject to your own husbands. Now, a couple things I want to bring to your attention. Um, if you'll notice, the words be subject are in italics. Now, in, in your translation, it, it may say something else, but that those words are in italics. And what that means is that in the Greek, that's not there. Um, you see, well, in, in Greek grammar, it carries over the verb from the previous verse. So we've got a title, a heading, and then we've got a series of things under it. And so in the Greek grammar, it just carries over to the next one. And, and, and basically, uh, Paul is saying, listen, you should all submit to each other in a general way, but in the context of the special relationship between a husband and wife, there's an extra layer here that I want to tell you about. Now listen, marriage is a team. A team, every team has a captain, every team has a leader. And when you submit, all you're doing is you're recognizing that legitimate authority over you. Let's read verses 22 and 23. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church. Now listen, if you are spirit-filled, you will not have a problem with this. You won't have a problem with this if you're spirit-filled. For a wife to say, my husband is my head, it really is a beautiful biblical, scriptural thing to say. Listen, when we submit to the police, we are not saying that they are better than us and we are not saying that we are inferior to them. We are simply recognizing their, their authority. I, kind of I want to expand on this idea. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3. I want to expand on this. I want to know what the Bible has to say about it. So Peter talks about this in 1 Peter chapter 3. And uh, we're going to begin reading in verse number 1. And eventually we'll read all the way down to verse number 6. But 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 1. In the same way you wives be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, and they may be one without a word by the behavior of their wives as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. So once again, the Bible tells wives to be submissive to their husbands, but something's added here. There's an extra element added here that might actually help us with our Abigail story. Okay, And, and what, what's added here is that they're to be submissive 
even if the husband is disobedient to the word. Now, whether that means they're backslidden, whether that means they're lost, it means they're disobedient to the Lord. We really have to get a flavor of what uh, the people that Peter's telling this to. In the ancient Roman world that Peter wrote this letter to, if the husband got saved and started coming to church, the whole family came to church. It was unheard of for a husband and a wife to have different, uh, a different religion. So when the husband got saved, the whole family came to church. If the wife got saved and not the husband, the wife came to church by herself. And this was a very common thing. And so you had a bunch of women coming to church uh, without their husbands because their husband hadn't got saved yet and, and wasn't part of the church yet. So they were coming to church by themselves and they had questions for Peter. What do we do, Peter? Do we leave our husbands? Do we change the way we act? Do we tell them and do we harp on them and do we just tell them every day that they're messing up? Tell us what to do, Peter. What do we do? So let's look back at the Scripture and remind ourselves what Peter said. If any of them are disobedient to the Word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives. Know what's going to win your husband? Your behavior. That means you can't... The, the, the Bible says you can win them without a word. What that means is you can't win them by talking to them. You can't win them by, by harping on them. You can't nag them into submitting to Christ. They're going to be won by your behavior. And they may say, well, but what about, uh, uh, what, uh, I don't, don't, how in the world are they going to be won over? Are they going to start doing right if I don't say anything to them? Well, do we, do we trust the Bible? What is the word? The Bible is our end for faith and practice, okay? The Bible is our final authority of faith and practice. We have to go by what the Bible says. Now listen, when it says be obedient or, be, or submit, that means you do not have to submit to your husband if he's telling you to go against Scripture, if he's telling you to go against the Word of God. If your husband comes to you and says, I don't want you to go to that church anymore. I don't want you to be a Christian anymore. In fact, we're going to go over here and do this thing that's sinful. Well, you don't have to do that. Because Peter also says in the book of Acts to obey God rather than men. Okay, you don't submit to that. The verse continue as, continues, as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior... You know what that basically means? That basically means act like a Christian, Christian and treat them how a Christian should, would treat them. A lot of times we act one way with everybody else, but we come to one particular person and we've got a chip on our shoulder and we treat them differently. And what Peter says is be, be obedient to the Word of God and show them the respect that God says to show them. Verse 3, Your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair, wearing gold jewelry, or putting on dresses. So does this mean 
You can't fix your hair. You can't wear jewelry. And uh, you can't wear not nice clothes. Um, well, you know, it doesn't mean that. If it did, nobody told the Proverbs 31 woman that. In fact, you go read about the Proverbs 31 woman. She's very, she's very nicely dressed. I know that women, I'm married, okay? I know that women have a daily routine that they go through to get ready for the day. I know mine's a lot shorter than my wife's, okay? Um, it doesn't take, it takes me a fraction of the time to get ready that it takes her. So I know that, that women have a routine that they go through to get ready, and there's nothing wrong with that. But if you think your routine is long, let me tell you about the, the ancient Roman Gentile women. I guarantee you that their routine was longer than yours. It took up most, it took up a good portion of their life. Listen, historians have said that women in the ancient day would plait their hair and braid their hair and it would have hundreds of tresses and hundreds of braids and, and they would use ointments to fix it and they would take these tresses and these braids and they would, they would form them in shapes of harps in shapes of wreaths, in shapes of crowns on their head. If their hair was long enough, they would take ribbons and tie ribbons to the bottom of their hair where the ribbons would, would, would drag the ground. And, and that, these are some things uh, that they would do. They would weave gold and pearls into their hair. And so much attention and, and, and so much detail went into that that it took up a good portion of their life. And Peter says, no. In fact, the verse says that adornment should not be merely external. Meaning, don't spend so much time on the outside, you forget about the inside. Don't, for, don't worry about outside beauty as much as you worry about inner beauty. Verse 4 says, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. Real beauty does not come from Maybelline. Real beauty does not come from a bottle or a, a makeup counter. Real beauty comes from the inside. And that's why the Bible says it's imperishable because outer beauty fades. If you married for outer beauty, you're going to wake up one day and be sorely disappointed. But listen, inner beauty, inner beauty doesn't fade. In fact, inner beauty gets better with age. And then a gentle and quiet spirit these are actually two expressions of the same grace. This is meekness, this is gentleness, this is sweetness, as, the pro, as opposed to pride, as opposed to going there like a bull in a china closet and letting the chips fall where they may. Listen, if, if you need to win your husband, you're not going to do it by harping on him. You're not going to do it by what you wear. You know what the most effective way to win any family member? A changed life and prayer. That's going to do it. A changed life and prayer. Let's look at verse 5. For in this way, in former times, the holy women also, who hoped in God, used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you have become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. So Sarah is a good example of submission in marriage. 
One of the reasons is Sarah, uh, Sarah submitted to Abraham and obeyed Abraham when it was difficult to do so, when he was wrong. I mean, Abraham's in Egypt and he's lying. He's telling everybody, that, uh, you know, that Sarah was his sister and not his wife. Well, Sarah was his half-sister, okay? But a half-truth is a whole lie. Second, she honored Abraham by calling him Lord. So, Zach, that does not mean go home and tell Brianna and start calling you Lord. It's not what that means. Um, this is actually a cultural thing. And all it means is she showed him respect. It is possible to submit to someone's authority, but not honor them and not respect them. And what it means is you do it with a sour attitude and with a bad attitude. And, you know, if you do what is right, you know, you should, you know, you do what's right without being frightened by any fear. You should never be fearful to submit to your husband because you're doing what's right. You're actively embracing God's will. You know, you submit to your husband's authority as leader. You're demonstrating your trust in God. Look, this, is, this isn't going to come up that much. Man, the longer you're, you're, you're partnership, you're together, the longer you're together, your decisions, you become one mind and one flesh. And, 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 and your decisions are that you make those decisions together and you submit to each other and, and as in a Christian marriage. But all we're saying is in the rare instance that there's a deadlock, husband's a leader. 1 Corinthians 11.3, you can turn there if you want. If not, I'll read it for you. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. But I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man, and the man is the head of woman, and God is the head of Christ. Now, some people look at that verse, and they look at the word head. And they say, okay, head means source. It means that, that, that woman came from man. It doesn't mean authority. It just means source, like the headwaters of a river. Eve came from Adam, so woman came from man. That, that's all that means. Well, let's look a little deeper at that word. That, that, that is the Greek word kephala. And it can mean source, but it can also mean authority. But the thing is, as in Greek grammar, it's context that drives the meaning. There's a theologian named Wayne Gruden. He's, he's wrote many books on theology. I've got a book by Wayne Gruden in my office on systematic theology. It's that thick. But Wayne Gruden looked at every instance in the, all 76 times in the New Testament where that word is used, and it always refers to leadership. It refers to authority. So this means that the husband not only has the responsibility of leadership, but the husband also has the accountability of leadership. And so what I see in this is as the wife, we've got two attitudes here we can imitate. We can imitate the, the attitude of men to Christ, which is rebelliousness that has to be won over, or imitate Christ to God, loving submission as an equal. One last scripture I want to go to. Turn to Titus chapter 2. I want you to see this. Uh, one last scripture before we move on. And it's Titus chapter 2. I just want you to see what the Word of God says. I want you to see what's in the scripture. 
Titus chapter 2 and verse number 3. Older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips or enslaved to much wine, but teaching what is good. So this passage is about relationships in the church. And older women are to teach the younger women these things. Verse 4. So that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands so that the word of God will not be dishonored. Now, this passage, it also tells the importance of the wife's role. It reiterates things like, like purity and meekness, gentleness, spirit, not, uh, gentle spirit, not brash, not prideful. But there's a new element here I want to talk about. It says the phrase, workers at home. Now, some translations say keepers of the home, and there are some translations that even say homemakers. So what does this mean? Does this mean that all women have to be what we consider today homemakers and not work outside the home? Is that what the Bible is trying to tell us? Well, once again, nobody told the Proverbs 31 woman that. Let me read for you a day in the life of the Proverbs 31 woman. I'm going to read for you starting in Proverbs 31:15. Listen to this. She rises also while it is still night, gives food to her household and portions to her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. From her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She girds herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She senses that her gain is good and her lamp does not go out at night. Her lamp doesn't go out because she's got money to buy oil to put, to put oil in the lamp. It seems to me that this woman's a very successful businesswoman. She has her hand in real estate. She's got her hand in agriculture. She looks after her house too. Now listen, if you decide to be a stay-at-home mom, a stay-at-home wife, let me tell you, you have chosen an honorable thing. No one should look down on you for that. If you feel led to work, you've chosen an honorable thing. No one should look down on you for that. But the point is, do not get so caught up in work outside the home that you lose focus on the home. We need to be focused on the home. And don't look at somebody else's home and see what they're doing wrong. Stay focused on your home. What goes on inside the wall, four walls of your home is more important than anywhere else. It's what the Bible's trying to say. Don't take your focus off your home. I said last week that the family is the most important thing right under God. And uh, so manner. Let's talk about manner. So we've got the... We've got the uh, I forgot. Give me just a second. We've got the matter of submission... Let's talk about the manner of submission. Go back to Ephesians 5.22. Wives, be subject to your own husbands. Look at that. As to the Lord. That is crucial to understanding this concept because there's a wrong way to, to look at it. It does not mean that you should submit to your husband like he's God himself. That is not what that means. It, you know, it does not mean that you do everything that he tells you to do without 
questioning it. I must submit to, to my husband as if he's God himself. Look, and there have been abusive husbands that have pushed that for hundreds of years, and it's wrong. Sarah called Abraham Lord uh, uh, not out of, uh, out of respect, not out of absolute authority. Nowhere in Scripture uh, does it say you should submit that way. There are limitations to the submission that your employer can expect from you. There are limitations to submission that the government can expect from you. There's limitations that parents can expect submission from their children. There are limitations of that. The only person who gets absolute unqualified submission is God. And if you give that to anybody else, you made that person your idol. You're in idolatry then. As unto the Lord means that submitting to your husband is an act of submitting to the Lord. It means it's part of your Christian life. It means if you don't do it, you not only fall short as a wife, you fall short as a follower of, follower of Christ. And listen, this is a different way to live from our culture. It's different. It sets us apart from our culture. That has nothing to do with the husband's intelligence. It has nothing to do with the husband's giftedness. It has nothing to do with the husband's capability. It has to do with honoring the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you're not married today, you need to make sure you choose the right husband because this is what God requires of you in marriage. This is his expectation of you. Finally today, let's look at the motive. Ephesians 5, let's read verses 23 and 24. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ also is head of the church, he himself being savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. The motive is the husband is the head. The, the head controls the body. The body, of the, 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 the body of Christ, the church, submits to Christ the head. And the point is God ordained this order. He ordained this order in the garden before Adam and Eve fell. When he made Eve, uh, made Eve after Adam, he made Adam first. God ordained this order. And we live in a world that wants to destroy the plan of God. We live in a world like this. And that's why it's so important when the rest of the world is compromising and the rest of the world is redefining the Bible, it's vital that we stand up for it. Marriage is a picture of Christ and the church. Your Christian marriage is a testimony of Jesus Christ. He chose marriage to emulate the church and Him. But the Christ, it says that Christ is the Savior of the body. Husband, I'm going to get you, I'm, I'm, I'm chomping at the bit to get you next week. But husband, let me tell you that the husband should emulate Christ. A husband is not a dictator. A husband is a protector. The husband is a provider. The husband is a preserver. The Bible calls the woman the weaker vessel. That does not mean you're weaker morally. That does not mean you're weaker intelligently. It just means you're weaker physically. Look, look, uh, uh, men are built different than women. To, to deny that is to deny science. It's to deny biology. It's just the way things are. And um, it's probably, the, it's, people denying that is the reason why in women's sports we have men with makeup on taking records. Because we deny this fact. 
Listen, if you didn't get anything else I said today, get this one thing. Last thing I want to bring up. I want you to notice who God talked to. When God said this, He didn't say, Husband, your wife needs to submit. Go tell her. He didn't do that. He didn't say, Husband, your wife needs to submit. Go force her to submit. He didn't do that either. What did he do? He went to the wife directly. What does this tell us? It tells us this is a voluntary submission. It means nobody's going to force you to do this. Your husband is not going to force you to do it. Church isn't going to force you to do it. No, God's not going to force you to do it. You have to make up your mind on your own. So, I just spent an entire message talking about wife submitting to their husband. Now let's get back to the story where she didn't submit to her husband and she did the right thing. So Abigail is, is hearing this and she says, man, this is wrong. I know what God wants us to do when God wants us to do this. And so she goes against her husband's wishes. She goes and she gathers all these supplies and she goes on the road. And as she's going down a hidden little path off in the distance, she sees David and his men coming and she meets him on the road. And she says, I am so sorry for my husband. He, he, he's just a stupid man and he doesn't understand this. And I, I just want you to tell you that I am so sorry. Here's the supplies. Please forgive us. And David looked at her and says, praise be to God that you came and you met me on the road because you kept me from doing a bad thing. You, keep me, you kept me from taking matters into my own hands. I am so thankful that you listened to God, that you submitted to God. You did what God told you to do. I am so thankful for that. And David didn't kill Nabal and his family, didn't burn their houses down, destroy their lands. He took the help and went back where he came from. So what did Abigail do? She did what God told her to do. Did she say, oh man, okay, so I'm done with this. I'm out. Hold on, David, I'm coming with you. What the Bible says she did, after she submitted to God, she went back home to submit to her husband. She goes back home. She goes in that night. Nabal's drunk and in a good mood. Good mood is rare for Nabal, so she didn't say anything. She went to bed that night. The next morning woke up and Nabal had sobered up. She went and she told Nabal what she had done. The Bible says he had a seizure. He dropped to the ground paralyzed. And 10 days later, God struck him dead. David heard of this. And David was so thankful for Abigail. So thankful that he said, I'm going to start trusting God to fight my battles for me. I almost did something really stupid. But, you know, God is there and God's going to defend me and God's going to fight my battles. But then you know what? He felt led and said, you know what? Let's, let me ask Abigail if she wants to be my wife. Because David recognized something in Abigail. He recognized something in her. So he sent servants to Abigail and 
Abigail said, yes, I do want to marry David. And she came and married David. And one day she became queen of Israel. You submit to God first. But submission to your husband is submission to God. Not that he's God. No. You obey God rather than men. And it's part of, our, part of your Christian life. Listen. I may be talking to somebody either in here or online, and you may be having a rough time in your marriage. But be patient. Trust in God. Your situation is going to be won by prayer and a changed life. Not what you wear, not what you put on, not what you say. It's a changed life, and prayer is the only thing that's going to make it better. But for a wife to willingly and voluntarily say without malice and with joy in her heart to say, my husband is my head. That is a scriptural, biblical, and very beautiful place to be in. Now, the right kind of husband is not going to abuse this. That's why... I'm setting this, the men up today so I can knock them down next week. But this is biblical, it's scriptural, and it's God's plan. And if we're filled with the Spirit, whether you're a husband or a wife or, or, in, or, or just a man, a woman, an adult or a child, if you're filled with the Spirit, we'll have no problem with submission.